Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Waldman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. The 2021 RSP publication will be available for download April 1st. I'm halfway through with the with the publication. If you want to learn a little bit more about it, you can go to mattwaldman.com or just ask around on Twitter what people think about it. And I think you'll find uh, that it's well worth the purchase, especially if you're a fantasy player or a draft nick who's interested in learning more about evaluating quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Speaking of quarterbacks, today we're going to do a quarterback mind dump. I've completed the chapters, the first one that I looked at. We're going to kind of give an overview of the position, where we stand with it in the NFL right now, as well as thoughts on some of the players. When we think about the quarterback position, we have to realize that the NFL has entered a new era over the past five to seven years, especially with its approach to developing young quarterbacks. You know, for the past, probably for the past three to four years, I've been questioning whether these recent developments that we've seen are an anomaly, but I'm kind of at the point now that I believe that the NFL has embraced the idea of fitting the scheme to the player rather than forcing the player to adapt to the scheme. And I'm not saying that the NFL's suddenly now this crazy environment of offensive diversity the way that we've seen with college and high school. I don't think we're ever going to see that. I mean, we still have the traditional West Coast offenses like John Gruden's and, and the Shanahan system, the variant of the system. Um, you know, And it's one of those things where with those two, fullbacks actually aren't a mythological creature. Tight ends actually play in line. They're not an endangered species. But on the other end of the spectrum, we we do have a wider spectrum now. On either end, we've got the Baltimore Ravens that compress the field. They have multiple tight ends. They create outside rushing lanes for their quarterback, who might be the most dynamic runner we've seen since Michael Vick, maybe even more dynamic. Then we've got the Sean Watson's offense with the Texans, where they used a lot of option-based concepts. And then what about Cliff Kingsbury in the air raid? It's made its way into the NFL. Offenses are changing, and and I think that analysts have accepted the trend towards quarterbacks who can move. They've accepted that that's that's here to stay. But as often as the case, we're getting proclamations, proclamations that the age of the pocket quarterback who can't threaten the defense with his legs is dead, or will die when Tom Brady leaves the game. Now that Drew Brees is retired. And we'll, I'll have more to say about Drew Brees at another time. Certainly um, a big fan of what he did on the field. And But again, proclamations are exciting. You know, they get clicks. They lead to arguments that generate more clicks. And then as a reader, you're thoroughly frustrated with your descendant of the cesspool of the comments section or, you know, your social media timeline and your brain's now been appropriately tenderized so that you can click an ad for the five best stock tips of 2021, hoping that you can get out of your job or the sports handicapper posing as Nostradamus. And while there's occasional excitement and satisfaction with that dopamine mechanism called the internet, it's the same methodology. It feeds us, you know, in the same way that a slot machine does or a roulette wheel. What I'm here to tell you is that the NFL pocket ain't going anywhere. Quarterbacks who run still have to win from the pocket in pivotal NFL situations. 
And since pocket play is a craft that passers can't acquire with a click of an internet ad that promises to change their lives, the flaws with long-term quarterback development remains the same. You know, we can look at the recent quarterback classes and reveal why this is the case. I mean, you could look at Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston, and Marcus Mariota. And all of them had pocket flaws. Now, you could look at, you could say Carson Wentz is the only one who really had great mobility, though a lot of people would say Mariota does. Mariota's, Mariota is a great athlete, and he can run fast, but he's a straight-line type of player. Struggled big time in the pocket, which is why he got benched. Didn't understand how to manage it so that he could find open receivers. He, if he moved more incrementally, you would have seen receiver. He would have seen receivers that were coming open instead of taking off the way that he did, and kind of with a blind eye. Carson Wentz never could really move well with his feet in terms of incremental steps and throw an accurate football, which is why they went to a pistol offense. And we've talked about this, you know, over and over again in a variety of episodes. Is that you know, the, the pistol offense was set up so that he didn't have to execute more than two, three-step drops on a regular basis because when he has to drop longer, his feet get out of whack and he throws inaccurate passes, especially downfield. But he can throw accurate with just all-arm throws or throws off short drops in quick rhythm. And so, you know, give. but when you had to take away the great pocket that the Eagles were giving him and had injuries to the offensive line, Wentz's play went downhill fast. Now, when we take a look at, you know, the NFL draft and think about these players, they fit a pattern. And that pattern is, is that regardless of the reputation of the current quarterback class, whatever it is that they earn before the combine, you're going to see that, you know, there's a lot of buzz given to the top three, top two to three passers in a class. It's like a PR boost. And, you know, there's a grain of truth to this conspiracy theory. You know, um, certainly the NF, the national media needs compelling stories. So you're going to get positive PR about these players. And because draft, you know, quarterback development is so difficult anyway, um, might as well start from a positive standpoint with all of these players anyhow as of what they could possibly do. And the NFL perpetuates and promotes this you know, race to low-hanging fruit for the media. They continually select passers in the first round on on really the basis of the projection and potential of these guys rather than their proven skill. And, you know, it's one of those things that's fueled by desperation. Bill Parcells told the audience of a NFL draft special several years ago that if the, the a team believes a prospect might have the potential to develop into a franchise quarterback, they got to take that quarterback in the first round or mit, or they feel like they miss out on that chance. And that's the pervasive attitude of the league's draft habits of the quarterback position. So as a result, you know, the, the media recognizes that, that their guaranteed success to get viewer eyeballs when touting quarterbacks as potential first-round picks. It makes them the focal point of draft season narratives that are going to be read. They're going to be watched, going to be listened to. The demand for analysis on next year's quarterback begins immediately after the current draft ends, though. And that's what's interesting about that, because in order to meet all these demands for editorial staff and to get those ads sold, 
You know, we're going to be delivering incomplete assessments of talent. And that's going to saturate TV, radio, and internet throughout the spring, summer, and fall. And once they fi- once we finally develop a complete picture of the class, this is why I don't like doing soap opera rankings. You know, there's already been eight to nine months of reactive talking points about players. Sometimes a ton of them are false or have pro- become proven false because the the hype that was generated early based on incomplete assessments, that's built up momentum to the point that that's what most people think about those players. And so the public ends up having a difficult time being able to embrace an updated version of what these players look like. So when we go back and look at, say, Golf, Wentz, even Dak Prescott, that's why fans and draft analysts suggested that agents manipulate the media into artificially raising the perception of a draft class. And, you know, when you look at these quarterbacks, they all had their ups and downs. Goff led his team to a Super Bowl. Wentz and Prescott rebounded in 2019. Um, you could say that Wentz has gone back downhill. Prescott earned a bigger contract because he pretty much showed that with or without an offensive line, he could keep that team competitive at least compared to a quarterback like Andy Dalton, which then also adds to the whole idea of you need a running quarterback because look what happens if you don't have an offense, an offensive line to support the pocket passer. You know, but what we've really learned over these past five years is that golf and Wentz are system quarterbacks. They can win when there's enough surrounding talent to support their strengths and minimize their weaknesses. And Prescott was the true franchise quarterback who can keep his team from imploding while play with sub, playing with subpar support. But despite Prescott's superior play, when judging these three guys, you know, you got to understand that the Eagles and the Rams went to Super Bowls because of the overall quality of the team as opposed to the individual carrying them on his back. I mean, Cowboys haven't come close to a Super Bowl. Coaches deserve credit for expanding the NFL offensive canon to capitalize on quarterbacks like Dak Prescott or Lamar Jackson or Carson Wentz or even Jared Goff but the quarterbacks in these systems while they deserve credit for executing the system and creating when the system breaks down which is often the case in pro football once defenses figure out the scheme these system quarterbacks have rarely transcended the flaws of their offense you can look at Mariota and Winston the media praised Tennessee, during Mariota's rookie year for adjusting the offense to fit Mariota's strengths, and five years later, he's a backup to Derek Carr, who might maybe still be someone that figures into the long-term plans of the franchise. He's hoping for a career revival, kind of after Ryan Tannehill had his career revival outplaying Mariota in Tennessee. And Winston, he he just remains an up-and-down producer with feet that lag behind his mind. It's a combination of flaws that really generates a game that's often a beat late and points shy. So the question is, is the NFL getting wiser about generating early production from its young passers? Yeah. But it's not any better at sustaining it. All these players, Mariota, Goff, Winston, Wentz, Mayfield, might be one of those we might see. Trubisky, 
Like Bortles. A lot of players there. So, listen. The, the reason that this happens and that they're not better at sustaining quarterback play that they get early production out of is that the pocket's always going to be the setting for where the quarterback makes the vast majority of his decisions. And when opponents figure out what a quarterback can and can't do, they adjust to force that quarterback to win from difficult pocket situations. The best starting quarterbacks, they have enough skills to counter these adjustments and a minimum number of flaws that only the best defenses can exploit. The average starting quarterback, they can counter some of these defensive adjustments, but they have enough flaws in their game that aren't going away that opposing defenses, when they have the personnel to exploit the quarterback, they can make the outcomes of games competitive. Defenses have the advantage against below-average starting quarterbacks because these passers have at least one significant flaw that limits what the offense can do. And so unless the offense has other players who force the defense to take into greater account you know, that player within its game plan than stopping the quarterback, the outcome's going to be in the defense's favor. These quarterback flaws are rooted in really two basic areas diagnosis and execution most diagnostic activities take place in the pocket and while execution can occur outside the pocket the quarterback still has to maneuver from the pocket while reading the field to reach that place that open area where they can throw the ball football's not going to be able to remove the pocket from the game it might be able to mitigate the physical punishment that happens in the pocket It might reduce the time needed to play from the pocket when they remove the physical play from defensive backs um, at the line of scrimmage, which slows route development. And it can use passers who can move outside the pocket and generate big plays. But even so, let's look at Patrick Mahomes, possibly the best. He is the best young quarterback in the game. He might be the best quarterback in the game right now. And there are some who believe, and I'm probably leaning in that direction, the best passer that we've seen in the game ever, at least one of them, maybe not proven over time, but in terms of talent, absolutely one of the best of all time. When we look at Mahomes at the Super Bowl, he couldn't keep his team competitive. He made incredible attempts, attempts that wowed the Buccaneers wide receiving core on the sideline. They couldn't believe how close he was getting to making plays without the offensive line being able to give him support. But that's the thing. The Chiefs couldn't provide him a clean pocket for most of the game, and the Chiefs lost big time. So Mahomes can win from the pocket, but he's not going to be able to win at the highest level against the best competition without a pocket. It's why the buzz about quarterbacks who can win off structure, off platform, and outside the pocket, all that's exciting, and it generates clicks and listens and views. But at its core, that media-generated clickbait, that's all it is if the quarterback can't win from the pocket. So keep this in mind when we start looking about the buzz about the next Patrick Mahomes. There isn't one. 
You know, what you're seeing is just another wishful attempt to land a player they overlooked without truly understanding why they overlooked him. And yeah, I'm talking about Zach Wilson. This is the third consecutive year where the NFL draft media is trying to compensate for not seeing Patrick Mahomes coming. That they didn't see him for who he is, and they're hoping that they can catch the wave with the next option, or at least generate clicks to get you thinking there's a next option. I know, sounds conspiracy theory-oriented, but as someone who has done enough media work Trust me when I tell you editors, when they see something that says there's a whiff that this player plays a little bit like Patrick Mahomes, that he's earning some of these comparisons, they want to explore that because it's about getting the reader interested in what you have to say as opposed to saying something truly compelling, enlightening, and interesting about a player that's accurate. It doesn't matter whether it's accurate if it's just entertainment. And NFL draft is entertainment most of the time. So listen, two years ago, we had Drew Locke. Last year, we had Jordan Love. This year, Zach Wilson. You know, I I, I could probably say the same things about Zach Wilson that I said about Jordan Love last year to a, a big extent. The difference, it's the and it's a big difference, is that Wilson actually is a viable potential starter in the right type of offensive scheme. You know, I think he's overvalued at his potential first or second quarterback on many boards. I think that's insane. I don't think he's even worth a first-round pick in an ideal NFL situation that wasn't described the way I just described it. He's not Mahomes-like. But is he Baker Mayfield-like? Yeah, I think he's Mayfield-like. you know, And I do understand what the NFL sees in Wilson's athletic ability. He's got the baseline arm strength. He can throw off platform. And if you know they like these skills, they see them as t- bankable tools worth a future investment. But you know, referencing what we just talked about, you know the, the failure rate for quarterbacks in the league is so high, and teams are so desperate to take a chance on players with first-round athletic talent and arm talent that while I don't think Wilson has really the potential to be a Patrick Mahomes type, not even close, the idea that he could deliver starter production one day has vaulted him into the first-round conversation. But see, what fascinates me year in and year out about this dynamic is that so many teams and NFL draft analysts can't tell the difference between the value of top prospects like Mahomes and Watson or Lamar Jackson and players like Locke or Love and Wilson. I don't get that they can't recognize that this is their own wishful thinking when they talk about creating an environment to develop a quarterback into a player that resembles these three guys. Mahomes, Watson, and Jackson. Especially when quarterback development in the league is so rare in the first place. I mean, really developing the player because developing the the, the guy that we would talk about who was developed well and not really a first-round talent was Drew Brees, who just retired after 20 years. And the guy who 
the guy who developed him, who Breeze gave credit to, who just passed away, rest in peace, Marty Schottenheimer. How that happened? Putting him in and out of the lineup. Benching him when he got overwhelmed, but giving him the pep talk to get, give him the confidence to say, we'll put you back in if the game gets close, but I don't want you to get into too many bad habits when you're not seeing things the way you need to see it and not managing it the way you need to manage it. We need to get you out of there so that you didn't fall in, you know, those bad habits didn't get ingrained and that you could sit and think and watch. They don't do that in the NFL anymore because if they do, the owners and GMs fear the media. They fear the PR backlash of, oh, they didn't draft the right guy. Oh, they made a mistake. They should have picked this guy. These guys are incompetent. They need to tear this whole organization down from the studs. You know, compelling clickbait kind of stuff. Other than being like, you know what? You guys don't know what you're talking about. We're going to give this guy multiple chances. We're we're putting him on a two, three-year plan. And we believe it's going to bear fruit. If You know who sat for years in this league? Tom Brady sat for a year. Aaron Rodgers sat for years. Drew Brees was pulled in and out of the lineup. Three of the best quarterbacks who've been in the league over that period of time. Patrick Mahomes sat for a year behind a competent veteran. Probably could have started earlier. But you don't think that that time, that extra time, helped put him over the top? Breeze, Brady, Rodgers, Mahomes. All have won Super Bowls. Yeah. But, you know, when we look at this, when I look at, you know, what's going on, I'm seeing people downgrade Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence for Zach Wilson. When Wilson's got some quarterbacking skill, you know, but when you look at him, he's not as athletic or even as arm talented as Jordan Love. Skim feet, um, scheme fit's going to be vital, um, but it's vital for every quarterback. You know, it's not some sort of exceptional behavior. It should be the baseline expectation, even though we treat it like it's a, you know, it's some cutting edge thing. You know, I think Wilson can start and learn on a team right now if it's a wide zone scheme kind of like what they did with Mayfield kind of put the training wheels on prevent um, him from getting too wild in and outside the pocket design where he's going to go limit the field and allow him you know kind of high leverage opportunities but I'd be surprised if he delivers production anywhere on par with Joe Burrow or Tua Tagovailoa or Justin Herbert or Kyler Murray because he's just not that accurate of a processor of coverage. I don't think he has a well-rounded accuracy to his game. I think that defenses are more likely to exploit Wilson um, a lot easier than the quarterbacks I just mentioned who've recently had success. And he's a lot like Locke in the way that his faulty processes, you know, processes differ significantly from his results. 
So when you look at his college tape, there's a lot of good results, but the processes aren't there. He usually, I think this type of thing bites prospects when they see the NFL field. It bit Locke. I mean, Locke's been okay at best, but he's had his teammates complain about him as well. I think Wilson's kind of more in that boat. And I think that you need to understand that Wilson needs at least a year. I think that when you watch his game, you're going to find a player who has some um, issues with his front leg where it locks out, the ball either sails short, or it ends up dropping when it goes deep. He He doesn't recognize the advantage that defensive backs have when they squat over the top of coverage that of routes that he's going to throw to the sideline or the opposite sideline. And while he's gotten away with some of that and a lot of it at BYU, the arm strength, when you project it to the NFL, the arm strength isn't quite there. He has enough arm strength if he can correct that, that flaw. But there are certain throws that even guys with strong arms strong arms and Wilson know not to make because they understand leverage. When you have a cornerback or a safety squatting over the top of a, uh, of, you know, a comeback route, opposite sideline, a deep out opposite sideline, you don't throw that ball. He's come close to having a number of pick sixes that he didn't have happen, but a better cornerback, a cornerback who jumps recognizes a little bit earlier, better athlete. Yeah. They're going to town. And I think you're going to see that in the NFL. Pocket presence. He can move around the pocket. I like how he anticipates certain types of pressure. But he's a guy that does make some movements in the pocket that he's not going to get away with in the league. He's just not that fast. He has he has starter. He's like Mahomes in the sense that he has starter-level movement. But he's not a high-end runner. He's going to move the chains for you. But he can't throw on the move like Mahomes does with the level of accuracy that Mahomes has. The best thing that Wilson does is throw back shoulder. But he doesn't understand where to place the ball in the middle of the field without getting his receiver killed or getting picked off or at the boundary. You know, the best throws he makes are the wide open kind that even Drew Locke can make that people then say, see, Drew Locke throws this ball like Mahomes. But again, you're comparing McDowell's with McDonald's, you know. Well, maybe not. But anyway, maybe you're competing. You're comparing the five horsemen to the five heartbeats. You ought to see that movie. So yeah, Wilson's going to get that draft capital, which means he's going to get two to three years, just like Mariota and Goff and Wentz, to have two, three-year window of patience that they're going to give him. You know, and if he can land on a team that like what has an offense like the Shanahan, Stefanski, or McVay variants of the West Coast offense, rooted in wide zone and play action. I think he'll get potential to develop into a productive starter for his team. Maybe relative to the league or for fantasy leagues, I don't think it's going to generate that type of return that those types of people are going to expect. But if, you know, he works at his craft, 
and he can correct some of his flaws, there's a chance. You know, but here's the thing. He doesn't take the easy plays as often as they're available to him. He has receivers breaking open in shallow and intermediate ranges of the field that are open during his drop, and he ignores them despite, you know, them being in favorable game management situations to take the easy opportunity. I think his accuracy from what I've um, measured is a little overrated in areas that people think are strong. You know, his vertical sideline, you know, throws within about, you know, 28 to 40 yards. Not so strong from what I've seen. You know, on platform, no pressure, not so strong. You know, intermediate sideline throws, 15 to 27 yards. You know, just meets expectations. You know, just meets it. You know, a little below expectations in the middle of the field in the intermediate range. You know, at least from a standpoint of what you'd expect from pinpoint accuracy. Because a lot of the prospects who are top prospects, they usually, in the college game, they're usually way over the baseline number. Zach Wilson's numbers, other than the short game, are either just at the baseline or slightly below in a lot of cases. The, the flats in the intermediate range, that's a way above expectation. But when I watch you know, the mobile accuracy, people look to that. He's just above expectation in the short, short area. In the intermediate area, he's below expectation for pinpoint. You, know, you combine pinpoint and general accuracy, he's there. The vertical game and the and the deep game, there's some nice individual throws that you'll see put in highlights, but I'm just not there. You know, when I look at his game, it, you know, it's there's a lot of icing, but there's not a ton of cake when I look at his game. Now, I think maybe he can develop a little bit more of that within the right bounds, but talking about him in the same measure is Trevor Lawrence even Justin Fields I don't get it just don't get it so who's underrated well I mean I think Trevor I think Trey Lance is a little bit underrated but then again maybe that that um arrow's pointing up again after a good pro day which you would expect him to have a good pro day because he's probably the most fundamentally sound quarterback on the board in terms of his footwork, his drops, his play action, what he can do in rhythm. Of course he's going to have a good pro day. I'd be shocked if he didn't. But Davis Mills, I think the best way to describe Davis Mills, a Stanford quarterback, is that he's a clean prospect. I don't think he has glaring faults that are going to hold back his development timeline if a team selects him, has a good offensive mind in place, a veteran quarterback who can be helpful ahead of him, and giving Mills maybe a timeline of one to two years to get acclimated. If all of that's in place, you might get the best that Davis Mills could potentially offer based on his film. I think the biggest flaws you're going to see with Mills is that he doesn't always read leverage of coverage in an advanced way. You know, the trickier blitzes pre-snap, he doesn't always spot. Um, and I think people are going to see that and fear that maybe he doesn't have he has some processing flaws that are difficult to fix. 
But I think when you watch the whole of his tape, you see a guy who spots, you know, good, you know, the basic leverage advantages that you would see with most prospects in the college game. He spots those. Um, and he spots most blitzes that aren't, you know, tricky. So to me, it's not that Mills is flawed as much as he is inexperienced with what you might expect an NFL starting quarterback to respond to. You know, a good example of that is I've shown this on Twitter and on my site is that he can he understands how to play the leverage of the defender against his target. So, for instance, he knows when to throw back shoulder up the seam to a receiver breaking inside against the defender who's trailing to the inside. Um, but say when he's targeting, you know, twin receivers on one side and it's a tight split with those two receivers in the alignment, and he has to read the leverage of both defensive backs to really make the best decision. Um, he doesn't always understand where the best leverage advantage really is and ends up throwing to the wrong receiver. But it's more of an advanced type of situation. So you can go to my site and learn a little bit more about that. But you can see where he may not realize that he's throwing to a receiver that um, if he had read the leverage a little bit better, he'd know that there was that the defender covering the other option had a, was in perfect position to peel off that option to attack the target that Mills delivered. Um, you know, and this is something that he does. You know, with the more advanced situations, are a little bit more difficult for him. Um, he has to. You know, the other thing is that, like a lot of top quarterbacks, he sees the field academically. In theory, he sees it or imagines it or pictures it, but he doesn't necessarily know the field. You know, Brandon Whedon, a guy that Russ Landy and I have talked about a lot, was a guy who really saw the field great on a high-end academic level. He could whiteboard the hell out of a play, understand where the de- what the defense is trying to do, what the offense is trying to do, how they're trying to attack it, and what all the options possibly are. But then when he gets on the field – He's, it's like he's memorized a math equation, but the variables have changed, you know, or the situation has changed and he's not able to apply what he knew academically to the real situation. And that's something that Mills shows a little bit of where he, he does, you know, he knows where he's supposed to go next, but doesn't take that last second to really consciously see where the defender is when he's going to go to that option. He's like, well, the answer is obviously the check down in the left flat. So he turns to throw to that, but doesn't see the defender plastered on the receiver because he didn't expect the defender to be there. So, you know, that's the type of thing that he can get better at. Um, it's a little, a little bit more about awareness and experience um, and giving a little bit more time. Um I think there's times where he does a very good job of appropriately pulling the ball down when the defender's already jumped a route the, at the last second. Um, so it gives me the indication that I think he sees the field well but doesn't always know how to read the scenarios. Um, and maybe some of those scenarios are foreign to him to the point that he just reacts. And so the more, the more he knows and learns and he really understands, the more he's going to recognize it on the field. Um, and I think that if he develops these advanced tactics, he has the physical, technical, and mental tools of a starter. I think he's an even-keeled guy. 
on the field in terms of his actions. Um, he does show that he has pre-snap responsibilities with his offense. I think he'll take punishment to win plays. I think he has the arm strength and technique to deliver accurate passes at every point of the field um, that any reasonable NFL team would expect from a starting quarterback. You know, if you ask me, I honestly think that he'd be a great fit in Atlanta. He's from Duluth High School, um, which is just a suburb northeast of Atlanta. Um, and I think if he got a year or two of tutelage from Matt Ryan, Matt Schaub is the as a second or third string option with Mills, you know, somewhere in that mix. By 2022, I think Schaub will probably be expendable. Matt Ryan, you know, at that point, maybe they decide to let him continue to play as well as the offense is playing well. And as, as long as he's playing well for another year or two, and then maybe at that point, Mills could be ready. And if not, they probably didn't spend more than the fourth round pick on the guy. So to me, that might be the ideal combination of enough talent to eventually be a starter with draft capital that's kind enough to not force him into the mix too early. Let's talk about some guys below the radar here who I think are interesting from a project standpoint. Guys that may be picked later in the draft who might be able to become journeyman starters, kind of your Ryan Fitzpatrick's, Andy Dalton's of the world. Um, Case Keenum's of the world. That's a wide range, I know, but they're all guys who've been able to start and deliver production with as long as they've had some talent around them. So, you know, one guy that comes to mind is Jamie Newman out of Wake Forest. Um, I think that he's a prime candidate for that kind of development. He's got the confidence and the arm strength and accuracy to deliver in a tight coverage, regardless of whether he's stretching the field vertically or working horizontally. I think he he's really good at targeting tight zone windows with anticipation. Um, and you look at it with Sage Surratt. I think Sage Surratt is a um, good tight coverage receiver. Not a great athlete. Good enough for the NFL, but you know he's going to need a certain role for his game to really shine. And I think that Jamie Newman did a great job of executing to help NFL teams see that and recognize him as a viable prospect you know because the way he targeted Surratt he was pinpoint accurate on a lot of tough throws and that showed either anticipation or great accuracy to the opposite sideline against tight coverage a lot of great work that way he's good under pressure in the pocket I think he's good at he has a really nice feel for baiting defenders I think he finds escape lanes well. He extends his timeline to throw um, or get into open space. Um, and he's a big dude. I mean, you need to gang tackle this guy um, if he gets into the secondary. And, you know, certainly I think a linebacker in the NFL, a lot of them can handle Newman, but not can, not all not all the time. Newman's a pretty big dude, got some movement, got some strength. He's going to be an asset in that way. I think he has common sense. And and this is something that sounds weird to say as a, a positive about a quarterback, but quarterbacks, especially young ones, can get really super task-oriented. There's so many details with pre-snap checks and understanding line play, understanding what the routes, all the routes the receivers are supposed to run, what the defense is trying to do pre-snap, post-snap, you know, understanding where you want to try to attack, whether or not you're 
your form and, and technique are right with your drops and your play action and whether you're opening up and looking off to a certain side and showing the nuance to bait defenders. There's a lot going on at that position. So sometimes the best quarterbacks in college football are become they're very good task oriented guys, meaning that they've they've they're really working on these individual things that all fit together, but to the point that they've that they've become kind of segmented in their games. So what happens is you'll see a guy who's a top prospect. Marcus Mariota would be a good example of a guy who would do this. You know, you could just see that like all the piece he had segments of pieces that clicked together. It's like Legos. You know, maybe he had five pieces that clicked together in a chain, but they didn't fit all together with the scope of what it is you were trying to make. And so you you'd see something with Mariota where maybe he was um you know, executing a bootleg, a boot action play. And he boots out and trying to make sure that he follows the play exactly as designed, he boots his way into a blitzing linebacker or a blitzing safety or a blitzing defensive end. And he had time to adjust the play. But he continues moving in the direction of that penetration that's unblocked and ends up getting sacked or stopped for a short loss. A guy like Newman sees the picture. Like maybe his tasks aren't always as sharp as some of the top prospects. But when I watch him commit, you know, do something where he has to commit, you know, execute a boot action play, he doesn't roll his way into the pressure. If he sees the pressure, he'll stop and adjust, whether it's throwing the ball away whether it's reversing field and throwing to somebody else, whether it's getting the ball out early, he shows common sense. And I think sometimes you see top prospects and and fans get really upset with top prospects and they're like, God, this guy sucks because how does how do you not see this defender in in open space? Or how do you you know what do you, you think he's gonna try and throw it through the um you know, through the defender's chest. Jameis Winston, another good example of that. You'd see him make throws and you're like, how does he not see that? Because he's picturing the completion of the process and imagining what's ahead rather than, you know, balancing what he's imagining from all that visualization you have to do to understand your your processes and getting that right with what's actually happening on the field. And I think Newman has that as a strength. And I like that common sense. It's hard to teach. So to me, I mean, really, it, I'll give you the story like my my daughter would say, because I'd say um, you want a guy who leads your operation, who, who doesn't follow the orders no matter what. Instead, they have the sense to improvise, adapt, and overcome. And my daughter Chandler's a Marine. And, and I asked her the other day because I was writing this, and you know, for the RSP. And I, and I said, is this just Hollywood bullshit or when you were in boot camp and you're, you know, working now in, in your field as a Marine, you know, is that still instilled or is that something I saw from a Clint Eastwood movie? <laughs> She's like, no, it's instilled since boot camp. It's what we do. Imagine being told you have to move a car with no engine, no phone, and only one other person. What are you going to do? She said, improvise, adapt, and overcome. It's a polite way of saying... Figure it the fuck out and then do it better than everyone else. 
And I think that the key for Newman will be developing his processing of essential information well enough that when the elevated expectations for mundane plays in the NFL are going to be mundane for him. So what I'm saying is that getting Newman's feel for the game to match the expectations for what he's going to have to do in NFL game situations. And if he does that, he has that playmaking, improvise, adapt, and overcome mentality that could make him a starter eventually. Or at least a really valued backup and bridge starter for like one year to the next, you know, until a team decides to go with a different option. A guy who I like, I don't know if he's necessarily going to make it in the NFL as anything more than a reserve, but I like Sam Ellinger. Um, you know, it it's just a gut feeling. And, you know, if you ply your craft long enough in anything, I think you develop flashes of intuition about your work. Um, you know, for me, Russell Wilson was a split second from having a pro down with Cecil Lammy at the Senior Bowl once he was asked how he'd like to back up Tim Tebow. And I remember seeing that and just seeing kind of the fire in Wilson and thinking, you know, let me keep that in mind when I take my deep dive of his NC State film because I saw him at Wisconsin and he was pretty good at Wisconsin. But, you know, is there anything special about this guy? And I took a deeper dive into his NC State film and came away even more impressed with him there because of what he could do in difficult situations that Wisconsin's line didn't have to, um, the Wisconsin's line pretty much prevented. I caught one play of Patrick Mahomes against LSU in 2015. It was the Texas Bowl against LSU. And it was the year before he would declare for the draft. And I remember I was about to get started on, you know, finishing up the 20, um, 16 RSP and I I literally turned off the TV because I, I saw that one play got chills and I thought I don't have the time to watch Mahomes because if I do I, I might I might fall behind I, I you know I'll I can't wait to watch this guy but there's something there and boy was there now I don't think Sam Ellinger is remotely Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson okay don't think that. But I think he's kind of an underrated developmental project. I think he could give a team some value relative to whatever his future draft capital is likely to be. And I think that draft capital is probably after, you know, the fourth round. I think he's probably a fifth or sixth or seventh round guy. Um, and there was a time that people were thinking he might be a, 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 first, a late first, second, or third round guy with a great season. Um, now I've been trying to, you know, I, every time I temper my expectations for him, I just get this nagging feeling that I'm undervaluing Ellinger, but you know, I try to make sure that I don't go by gut feeling, you know, that's why, you know, I probably watched more games than Nick Chubb than any running back I ever studied. Cause I, what I saw of him, I wanted to be sure that I wasn't wasn't anything rooted in emotional bias before I ranked him slightly ahead of Saquon Barkley. So when I watch Ellinger, I see a good enough arm to start in the league. I see proficient throwing on the move. I think he's a sturdy ball carrier. He has enough athletic ability to move the chains and threaten linebackers with his, his acceleration. And I think he steadily improved his game in Texas. Now, 
you know, with what he's done at Texas, you there's viable criticisms of his game. Um, Texas had to try and, you know, do a lot of one side of the field reads with him. That when you watch him drop back, he hitches up in situations where the ball should have come out. And so now he's got to create on the move more and the plays break down. And now he's got to um, make plays in more difficult circumstances where if he saw the field a little quicker, a little more confident with where he could place the ball, recognize things faster, you know, he would have been, you know, he'd be a lot higher of a prospect because you can't do all that off script type of stuff in the NFL on a regular basis um, and be successful unless you're Russell Wilson and even then, you know, you're going to get criticized if you go overboard with that because you're not always going to be able to make the plays that you should. But when I watch him, you know, I think that his, one of the things he's improved with with his game is deep deep accuracy. A couple years ago, I watched him, and he looked like Carson Wentz at North Dakota State where the ball went everywhere and anywhere, but within a stride of the target that he was trying to hit. Last year, I'm watching Ellinger, and he was way more accurate based on how I tracked, um, you know, players. And this may not match statistically what he did, because receivers had a number of drops um, that were really good passes downfield. But I like Ellinger. I think he's game tested. Um, I think he could outperform his draft expectations over time. Um, he's got to become a better rhythm quarterback. That may be the big thing, which is lean less on your athletic ability to buy and time and create and recognize the early situations and take them quickly and accurately. So those are those are a couple guys that come to mind, you know, right off the bat when it comes to developmental projects. Now we'll end with some of the top guys. I think. Trevor Lawrence has the physical, mental, technical, and intuitive emotional tools to become a complete player in the NFL and in any offense. I know that you're going to see a lot of criticisms about the Rich Rodriguez offense and how that may make things hard for him. You know, But I think he can stretch the field with his arm and his legs. I think he makes quick-hitting plays as a vertical passer or a featured runner. I think he buys time well in and outside the pocket. He delivers to his third, fourth read. He can scan the width or length of the field. He's technically sound as a throw-in pocket manager. I think he's going to stand up to physical play. I think he's going to be a conceptually prepared player who learns from his mistakes. It's all the things that I've seen from him on tape. I think he finds solutions when defense try to trick him later with a tactic that fooled him earlier in the game. I think that like what Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson, Lawrence knows how to use the threat of his legs to bait coverage into giving up um, that coverage his position when he goes off script. He uses his eyes and legs well to manipulate opponents on the move. The difference between Wilson and Jackson is that Lawrence has a top drawer arm. He, you know, Wilson can and Jackson can both deliver for distance. Wilson has some velocity that Jackson doesn't have. Lawrence has high marks in both areas. I don't think there's any physical limitations that are going to force a team to generate a scheme to hide what he can't do. Now, you're going to see a lot of draft nicks in the community say the whole Lawrence is the best prospect since Andrew Luckbuzz is overkill. He's overhyped. But what if it's, what if it's um, 
how would I put it? I think it's only overkill if you believe that Andrew Luck was a peerless and flawless quarterback prospect at Stanford. I sure didn't. Most people forget that Luck missed pre-snap tells. He made boneheaded throws in the coverage that would rival the prospects who generated reputations for recklessness. The zone blitz might as well have been kryptonite for him, you know, at Stanford. If I think you have a realistic understanding of what Luck was as a college player and as an NFL player, he was very good in the NFL. I'm not sure if you would necessarily say he was an elite quarterback. He was close. He had years that were pretty close to that. But you could argue that maybe he wasn't one of the three to four best or even one of the five best quarterbacks in the league. So to me, if you make a realistic style comparison between Luck and Lawrence, that sticks just fine. As long as you understand that Lawrence also is physically and technically Luck superior. I think Luck was slightly ahead of the game compared to Lawrence conceptually at this point of their careers, but not by so much that the comparison should earn any kind of derision. No prospects a can't-miss guy. But I do think Lawrence's ability to be scheme-versatile and his brains, grit, and creativity are going to all help him thrive in the NFL. I'm a Trey Lance fan. I think he's a fundamentally sound guy. He's mobile. He's got grit. He has speed. He's got a big arm. I think he has underrated command of the passing game. And I think that if you give him time, you could probably take the best of Steve McNair and Matthew Stafford and blend them together. And that could be the end product that's Trey Lance. Put him in a great offense. And let him work with that arm, that mobility, that toughness, the accuracy that McNair had, the the way McNair took care of the ball, the game management, and the grit that both those players have, McNair and Stafford. If Lance has that, wow. But I think that if a team can sit a quarterback for most of a year, let him sit behind a competent veteran, Atlanta would be another nice choice here. Let him work with a proven coach who doesn't try to change the style of the player. He could be the best of this class. Um, give him a half a year to acclimate behind a proven veteran. And it might be enough to at least propel him in a positive direction where it's going to be harder for him to lose his confidence and sink. Um, I think that there's a lot of polarization with Lance because of the surface level indicators that I think fan media and some analysts misuse when evaluating quarterbacks, they don't fit the template of what makes a top prospect. You know, Lance had an unheard of touchdown interception ratio, but his yardage production was lower than the average first round passer. And because he only had one year and one game of as a starter, and he worked at North Dakota State, you know, you all add all this up and he doesn't look like a safe selection because he doesn't check all those boxes that we've that we repeat uh, that the NFL executives use and we repeat that like pablum, you know? And so they say, well, it's not really first round material because he, you know, only started one year and he's, you know, he's playing at a lower level. Film study is only part of the equation for draft capital for sure. You know, but that draft capital isn't a direct correlation to talent all the time. So, one of the things is you got to understand that Lance operated a pro-style offense. He made pre-snap 
adjustments. He's characterized as a checkdown option artist, but most people who say that don't realize that Lance's offense was built on the tight end and the running back being the first and second reads and reading short to deep. So when he's executing deep as well as he does, understand that oftentimes he's making the third or fourth read or he's spotting something pre-snap that's obvious enough for him to attack. So you got to understand that this accounts for some really good decision-making that people are only seeing on a superficial level. Um, and it also accounts for the low, below average yardage production from Lance in comparison to a lot of teams running spread offenses. So when they see the production difference, they, they can't, they don't feel like they can trust Lance, but I think he has the best play action and drop back game of this class. He's a dangerous runner. He's got the speed to take the corner on box defenders. He's strong enough to really move linebackers and safeties, um, with his, with his power, um, you know, I, he can extend the pocket. I don't. You don't want him beating up, trying to run into linebackers and safeties in the league. But he can do it when he needs to and be a big play guy in that respect. But um, you know, maybe he hasn't had a wealth of experiences identifying advanced coverages and certain game plans and handle certain management scenarios that come with you know two to three times more game experience than what Lance had. Which again is why maybe I understand sitting him would be the best thing. But I think if you give him that time and be patient, man, could he be something special. Really like what I see from Trey Lance. There's other guys that I could go into. Mac Jones, Justin Fields, certainly deserve Kyle Trask, I'm sure, you know, for in some corners. We could talk about those guys. Um, but I'm going to be doing a show probably with Mark Schofield and Russ Landy, and we're all going to do kind of like our own conversation about these quarterbacks. So, you know, and I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about the top guys. So that's why I spent time on some of the, um, you know, a mix of both the middle tier guys and some of the top folks for this particular quarterback mind dump. But I appreciate you listening. Again, you can get the Rookie Scouting Portfolio available April 1st. You can pre-order it right now at mountwaldman.com. Um, I'm going to get back to work on wide receivers, but I know y'all haven't heard from me in a little bit. So I figured it was time to remedy that with a podcast. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy your week.